You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Mic check, one, two, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's July. The 4th of July is over. Uh, man, I've been driving around out in the country with my boys, and I've started to see some like some decent bucks, man. Uh, they're not fully grown yet, but it, it's always exciting to see uh, a deer in velvet, no matter how big they are. And so it's started to get me amped up, and I wish my schedule, my schedule after this weekend is going to kind of slow down the rest of the summer, but then it's trail camera time, right? Then it's strategy time. Then it's uh, tree, sta- uh, uh, tree stand placement time. It's saddle placement time, right? I'm going to throw some tree stands in some historically good rut spots, and then I'm going to be mobile with the saddle the rest of the, you know, the rest of the areas. And so I, 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 env- I envision how this is all going to work. I envision myself going and setting up one, two, three, four of all the properties and acreages that I hunt, four stands that I know produce, the rest are going to be little off uh, suits of that. And that is when I'm going to start, uh, that's when I'm going to start going and uh, using the saddle, right? So again, it's a tool. You know, you hear me talk about that whenever I talk about tethered. It's the, it's the, it's just a tool in a hunter's, uh, you know, arsenal. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to expanding my uh, knowledge and use of a saddle. On top of that, there's nothing better than getting the first big velvet buck on trail camera. And I'm way behind this year. I might even force it uh, at some point this week and go and, and try to get the job done on that. But um, hang up. Man, I have like 20 trail cameras that I need to hang up across two properties. I just got one of those... Um, they're da- the uh, cuttyback link systems where they have the one the one trail camera that attaches to like a daisy chain effect so I can go and put one down in a river bottom where I don't get any cell service and it will talk to a camera and it will talk to another camera and it will talk to another camera and basically uh, spread the in or uh, basically get the message across right it'll send a picture to one camera then it sends it to another then it sends it to another in hopes that uh i i can use cell cams in in a river bottom that i've never been able to have cell cams in before and i know right now cell cams are kind of like a heated they're they're a much discussed topic and i don't feel like i'm ever going to use them to the extent where, hey, I am, number one, I don't have any properties close to me that I hunt. So it would be, it would be like, okay, there's a buck in this area. I have to get ready, drive an hour and a half. That's my closest property. Uh, Then, you know, back home, then get in the tree and then hope that that animal is still there. It's not like I can just step out my back door, run into a stand and get in there. My other, my other uh, uh, farm is like three hours away. So it's really difficult to, I mean, it's difficult to um, use one in that manner, but it's going to be good to know what deer are running around because ultimately my goal, just like a lot of you, is to shoot the biggest buck on the property. And the more uh, trail camera pictures I get, the more information that I get, uh, regardless of of if it's instant or if it is, you know, delayed, then that helps me put a game plan together on where to, you know, where the, the ambush points are. So I'm looking forward to getting all that done. 
baseball is over. Uh, softball is actually going to start up now here pretty soon. Wrestling is going to start up here pretty soon. Uh, we might be doing swimming lessons. I mean, uh, we're getting ready for a trip, a family trip here in August. Uh, and so it makes me think that earlier when I said things are going to slow down, I actually think that they're not. It's just going to switch to a different kid. Um, other than that, man, I'm really looking forward to this fall. I, don't, I, don't, I only have one out-of-state hunt planned right now and that is to go to uh, South Dakota I drew that tag there's a chance that I head south uh, to Missouri just for maybe like a early October one like four day type of hunt just just because it's close maybe Wisconsin I don't know but uh, I'm really looking forward to this fall and, and my goal is to just I want to get some more meat in the freezer I'm running low and I want to get uh, another big buck man honestly that's that's why I do it. I love the chess game. I love uh, just being outside in nature, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, today we have a really cool episode, and we're going to be talking with a guy who shot his best buck to date on a bar stool that he placed out there the previous year, and uh, he he got some trail cam intel of a buck doing a thing, and this buck was doing a thing had a pattern on him to the point where he's like he felt very comfortable and confident going in early season and trying to catch him on a morning hunt coming back to bed and sure enough he connected and so check the story out it's a real good one i know you guys are going to enjoy it but before we get into today's episode i'm going to take a sip of coffee all right uh we got to do some commercials all right so i just got in a whole bunch of new gear from huntworth and like i hate to say it but when they say you know they're comparable to sitka and kuyu and and other brands like that i was a little bit skeptic okay i'm like okay those are some big brands they're high dollar amount and usually in a scenario like that price does reflect reflect quality but i got a box of their stuff it's in it's really good i mean and for the price the value is there as well. And so you're getting what they say. Uh, they always say uh, 80% of the function for 50% of the price. That's a no joke. I wouldn't, that's a, that's a low ball number for 80, 80%, man. I was touching and feeling some of their stuff. I was looking at the stitching, uh, the feel, the fit of it is just really good. And I know that uh, when I mess around with it this, this fall, like my first batch of clothes I got in from them, uh, it's going to be my South Dakota hunt where it's going to be cool in the morning and it's going to be uh, like hot potentially in the afternoon. So I'm really looking forward to uh, putting it through the ringer, man. And, and so far it, uh, it looks good. Uh, the stitching is good. It's comfortable. It's quiet. And uh, so if you want to find out more information about Huntworth, go check out their website and then all the all the stuff that they offer. So it's uh, it's a badass. Uh, the Woodman's Pal, man. Uh, I'm getting ready to go use the Woodman's Pal. It's uh, it's uh, I guess you would call it a habitat tool, right? It's basically a machete. And this Woodman's Pal, I'm going to take out with me when I go uh, set tree stands. I'm going to take it out when I go set trail cameras. And basically, within the next month and a half, two months, I'm going to be, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be prepping properties, okay? I'm going to be tree stands, uh, you know, places where I'm going to ambush, you know, from a saddle. And then I'm going to keep it in my bag so that if I do have to have something mobile, I'm going to, you know, go chop, go chop her down. Uh, so let's see here. Go check out Woodman's Pal, W-O-O-D-M-A-N-S-P-A-L.com. Uh, this thing is made in America. It's durable. It's badass, man. And so I'm going to keep one in my pack and one in my truck, and that way I'll have it uh, for, you know, whenever I need it. Now, we, we do have a brand new partner I want to talk about today, and that is Code Blue Sense. Uh, and I'll be completely honest. The thing that I like the best about uh, working with Code Blue is that the how how they collect their scents. And so what, what Code Blue uh, is, is it is a scent company. Okay, so they they make like dough and estrus. They have scent elimination products. They have cover scents. They have all the accessories that you need for that. But the thing that I'm the most excited to uh, to do this year is start messing around 
with mock scrapes. And so they have this product called the Ropadope, and um, it's basically just a, a mock scrape kit. And uh, the, let me open it up here. And so it comes with a rope, it comes with, uh, basically what it does is it simulates rub activity on in licking branches. So I'm really looking forward to messing around with that, hanging a trail camera off of it, seeing what deer show up, seeing if it, it uh, it's something that I'm able to hunt over uh, during the season. And so uh, stand by as I start to uh, experiment a little bit more with that. But the other cool thing about uh, what they have here, let me pull up the, this is, on some of their some of their uh, products, they have a one deer per bottle. So the way they collect is it's not a mix of a whole bunch of urines. It's not a mix of a whole bunch of um, you know, different types of scents. It's one buck in there. It's one doe in there, and they collect this uh, at a, spe a special uh, facility. And so it's pure. It's fresh. And, uh, and I think that's pretty sweet, man, uh, taking the time to go do that. All right, so uh, that, my friends, is Code Blue. So go check out CodeBlueSense.com uh, and uh, read up on all the functionality that they, you know, that they have, all the products that they have, how to use them. And they have a, a good like, videos there as well so that you can learn. So I'm sorry that this, this commercial break took a while, but I just wanted to get you guys up to date on some of the companies that I'm working with. Uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Um, if you have any questions, man, or, or comments or concerns, or you just want to bitch, why don't you hit me up on the DM, Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram, and that's where I do most of my communication. Or, you know, feel free to go uh, email through the, web, the Sportsman's Empire website. And uh, I've started the process of something uh, like an expansion of the of the sportsman's empire. Okay, uh, I've started this process. I can't let the cat out of the bag now, but I'm really looking forward to this next chapter in what the sportsman's empire is going to be launching. And uh, I, I hope you guys enjoy it. So uh, stay tuned for that. And that's it. Let's get into today's episode of the Barstool Buck. Three, two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And today we are joined by Brian Myring. Is that correct, Myring? Yes, sir. Perfect. Where Where do you live? What state? I live in Michigan. Michigan. Oh, dude, that's a good Michigan buck. We're going to be talking about today. I'm pretty. Yeah, that's one of the couple. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, before we knock that out, what do you do for a living? I work at a church. I'm the facilities director, which is a nice way to say that I'm the janitor, uh, the groundskeeper, and uh, the maintenance man. Okay. All right. Pretty big church? Uh, bigger for the area, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and so I have a funny church story I, I want to share with you. Uh, I <laughs> was kind of an asshole kid when I was younger. And, but my mom made me go to church every single Sunday, right? So we, we'd be there at like 9 a.m. And then for uh, we would be there for 9 for youth group, youth, you know, like a pre, or a Sunday school all the way from as far as I can remember all the way up to my senior year in high school. Had to go. Mandatory. And so me and another guy who obviously didn't want to be there, but we went through the motions anyway. We... We would go around and sit in people's spots in the church. Like there's one family, you know, like row number one, same family every Sunday. So we would go and then we'd sit in those spots and then they would be like, oh, uh, you know, they were trying to remain Christian while also saying, hey, those are our spots. You need to go find another place to sit. And we we're like. Oh yeah, we just wanted to really focus on this week's sermon and and uh, and, and sit there. And they would got so they would sit there, or we'd sit there for like five weeks in a row, right? And then when they finally would try to go to another spot, we would go and sit in that spot, <laughs> just piss them off. They were so mad at us for just for doing that, and you know we were we were punks, but. Uh, 
um, I don't know. I think the preacher caught on to it and he pulled us aside. He goes, I get what you're doing. Uh, and I think it's hilarious, but, uh, maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Folks get pretty jumpy about their spots. Oh man. It, I guess it was one of those things, the closer you are to the front and the closer to God you are. And so, uh, uh, we had, we had a fun time. We had a fun time. Yeah. Um, uh... I had a, a, an old lady tell somebody to get out of her spot one time when I was a kid at church. Hmm. That's uh, that's how you, you get people to come to church is by being super friendly and telling them to get out of your spot. <laughs> yes. Open your arms to the Lord and then have some old lady uh, say, hey, get out of my spot. You're in my spot. That's funny. Uh, did you grow up in a hunting family? Yeah, my dad was a, a big hunter, bow hunter. My grandpa, not so much, but uh, yeah, my brother and I hunt. Yeah. How old were you when you started uh, hunting right away? Yeah, it, I went with my dad before I could hunt, and then uh, I hunted as soon as I could. We had bows pretty young, but I never really got into the bow hunting, and then I shelved it from college, mm -hmm. picked it up a couple years ago. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, man, that's uh, that seems like a pretty standard thing that happens, right? I mean, it happened with me. I, I started bow hunting when I was 12 or 13, and I wouldn't even call what I was doing bow hunting. I would say I yeah. had a bow in my hand when I would walk into the woods and sit in a tree stand, but I sure as shit wasn't hunting, right? I was just sitting there thinking something was going to come by me. And so then, you know, did you did you play sports then? I tried. Yeah. 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 Played some, probably had some, you know, high school activities and chased some girls and drank some beers or whatever. And then through college, kind of the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. I had a lot more fun things to do than sit in a tree and not shoot deer. There you go. There you go. All right. So, uh, your fr you know, you come from a background of hunting, you did it. What was the the then reintroduction what was the tipping point where you're just like uh dude i want to get back into it uh about 2018 there was a, a big deer on my in-laws farm and i thought well if i really want to kill this deer i need to get serious and i started listening to podcasts to try to figure out how to do things and then just got in the woods a lot more uh started out with a crossbow which everybody loves yep i did that three years and then i started to have some success and uh I transferred back to shooting a, a compound bow uh, two years ago. So yeah. it, it came down to a big deer I wanted to kill, and then I, I was able to kill that deer, and then I wanted to kill a deer with a with a big boy bow. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask, for someone who's done both of those things, you've, you've shot a crossbow, and, and you've also, you know, I mean, you shot a deer with a, uh, a crossbow, and you shot deer with a compound bow, is a crossbow easier? It just doesn't take the practice. Yeah, right. And you can get away with, you know, you don't have to draw it. So yeah. your movement a lot less. Okay. So it's, it's definitely easier. It's a it's a much easier kill. Yeah. Did you, when when you were using a crossbow in that time when you, you know, you're, you're getting reintroduced into hunting, um, you're going through... Uh, all basically this this uh, this almost like a reminder period uh, where you're you're saying okay this is how it's done I remember this now and kind of going through the those those motions again um, what was the first couple years like for you when you were getting reintroduced to uh, hunting uh I spent a lot of time, so I, I by myself most of the time. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time listening to people who know what they're doing and hearing how to do it right. Right. Uh, but that was the biggest thing is figuring out, you know, how to do it right. The second part is is actually going through the motions of finding deer and scouting and finding where that stuff is. Um, when I was a kid, I really didn't know what I was doing. I, I just pretty much climbed up in a tree, didn't think about which direction the wind was. And I was never much of an archer, so the practice part portion of it was was a lot. I would go through a lot of arrows uh, every day. I'd shoot my bow just to try to train myself that anchor point. Yeah. 
um, because that was probably the trickiest part is figuring out where I wanted my anchor point to be and then doing that consistently so you could actually hit a target. Gotcha. Um, and but that was, but that was after you went through a couple years of crossbow, right? Yeah, the crossbow was more just figuring out the deer portion. I didn't have to worry about the shooting portion. Right. First. So let's talk about that. Uh, that that reintroduction stage of like deer movement, deer behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the first the first year I went out, I kind of. Uh, I just went out and sat. I didn't really like tree stands that much. I had a few tree stands, but the part I liked about the crossbow was I could just walk anywhere and, and kind of plop down and tuck myself into anything and, and hunt. That was that was what really was, was fun about it is kind of like a white trash mobile hunting version. Right. Uh, but uh, but it was pretty sweet because you could, you could just go anywhere and then it could be a spot to hunt where – you know, you couldn't just do that with a with a bow and arrow because you'd have to draw while they're there. Right, right. Almost kind of like a turkey hunting with a shotgun. You can just kind of yeah. plop down, aim one direction, and wait for them to walk in front. Um, as you were doing that, then did you were you thinking uh, like to the future where you're like, ultimately, I want to get rid of this crossbow and pick up a compound, or did were was it more of a light switch type moment where you're like screw this crossbow i want to i want a big boy bow well i think when you shoot a deer and then you tell somebody you shot it with a crossbow so i wanted to be able to tell people i could uh, i could kill a deer with a bow so uh that's that's a lot of it is it's kind of like uh it's like a a second hand kill you know i don't know it's it's not as impressive with a crossbow as it is with a, with a compound. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I understand what you're getting at. Um, and so over that, over that course of, uh, you know, how many years did you shoot a crossbow? Was it three? Yeah. Three years. Three. Okay. Three years. Um, did you have, did you find success all three of those years? Uh, two of them. The first year I did, uh, that was a pretty neat story. I saw a deer on the other side of the field and, uh, just stalked up to it and grunted it in and shot it while I was laying on my belly. Oh, in the middle of the field? In the middle of the woods. Okay, it was in okay. a wood lot on the other side of the field I had to get to. Um, so that was pretty exciting. Uh, the second year, I didn't shoot anything, but then the third year, I, I shot that buck, um, the the big buck that I was after, after I'd really put in some effort and trying to figure out how, how he was moving through that area. Gotcha. And what did that look like for you as far as trying to locate a specific deer and then put a, uh, a game plan together to try to ambush them? I started out with like a couple of trail cameras uh, and I used cell cameras because it was a hard place to get to. And then after I got them on one, I started putting more trail cameras around that area to try to nail down exactly how he was using it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was um, I was taking a Snapchat every day, or I was, I was taking a screenshot every day of the weather, and then I would correlate the pictures to the weather to figure out when he was going to be moving through that area, and I, and I figured out that he was only coming into the field on one specific wind, and, and that was the wind I tried to kill him on, and eventually um, he was in, on the camera with a completely different wind and it was right around rot and he was following a doe and i thought this is the only wind i can actually kill him on so and what wind there. what wind was that he was normally coming into the field and he was betting on the south edge of like a swamp mm-hmm. with a big open field to to the south of it with a north wind and he would always come in from the south from the neighbor's property so it was about impossible to kill him he the day i killed him he was going down on a south it was a southwest wind, and he bedded in the same spot with that doe and ended up coming out into the field, and I grunted him into about 30 yards and shot. So was that a morning or an afternoon hunt? I got a picture of him in the morning at 8.30 on my camera, and then I had to go to work all day, which really was frustrating. But <laughs> <laughs> Then I got back out there, and I didn't get out there until about 4.30. So. Okay. So he was already up walking around and making his way from the north to the south back into the swamp when you shot him? 
He was coming out of the swamp. Oh, out of the swamp. Okay. But he was coming from the west of me. Okay. Uh, that time. Gotcha. So, was there just out of curiosity? Was there a wind shift that day that went straight from straight north or northerly direction to the southerly direction? No, that was what was weird. Is he went to bed on a on a southwest wind? Mm-hmm. But I think it was just because there was a hot dough in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes it's good to know that. I mean, that's what I use trail cameras for, man. Uh, yeah. Get those pictures and then say, okay, this deer's doing this on this wind. And then, and so when you said it was tough to hunt on any other wind, does that mean that you had limited access to the farm? Yeah, he was, I, he was on the south edge of the farm and he would enter the, the field in the southwest corner Mm -hmm. and he would only come in on the north wind. So he was going to catch my wind pretty much and there would there was going to be deer anyway so i try i tried doing it with like the scent lock and getting all anal about the scent but uh every time i would sit up there he would be about a half an hour after i i was in there on a north wind gotcha okay and uh did you ever get busted like were you getting busted a lot in the in that three-year time frame when you were coming back or were you pretty did you have your access routes pretty dialed uh, the last year I started to get a lot better, mm-hmm. um, about the access routes, but initially, yeah, I couldn't figure out how to get to that spot. So I was blowing deer trying to get there in the morning and that didn't work out. Did you have to walk through a field to get to your stand locations? I did. So yeah, that's tough, it man. worked out that the field had, I couldn't get there in the morning and that's what I just decided cause they were out in that alfalfa. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, I had to walk kind of I use the topography to hide myself for the most part and I could get in there without anything seeing me gotcha okay um how many acres are you working with here that was an 80 acre an 80 acres right Uh, a lot of pressure from other hunters on the surrounding farms not too bad rifle season heavy pressure but not any bow season pressure oh that's good and so did you guys have the food and uh you mentioned that the swamp was on the neighbor's property to the south did you guys have the food then yeah it was like an 80 acre field and it had about 20 acres of that swamp okay on the end of it all right what was the timber situation or was it just like trees around the swamp uh it's mixed trees around the swamp and then there was a like a red pine plantation along kind of a steep hill to stop the erosion i got you all right okay um so now we kind of know the layout of this farm. What uh, what what then made you... So the stories uh, that you were telling your buddies and friends is the reason that you put down the crossbow to pick up the compound bow. What was the learning curve then uh, until you started feeling proficient with a compound bow again and saying, okay, I'm ready to be, be a bow hunter? I think I got it in April. Uh, and probably by... August I felt like I could I was I was pretty good with uh comfortable with where I was hitting okay <clears throat> okay I, I stretched it out right away because I thought if you can shoot something at 60 yards and hit it then you should be able to hit anything inside of that so yeah I pushed myself probably a little faster than I needed to but I, but once I got my my hold down and my anchor point then that was about August and I felt comfortable yeah, you mentioned something about struggling to find a good anchor point. Walk us through that struggle. The hard part was just being consistent about it. Mm-hmm. And, and where you, you know, if you put too much nose pressure on, I was having a hard time getting true arrow flight. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, would, I would move it around. I would, I would move my peep sight up and down until I finally got to a spot where I could get the arrow to fly true. Mm-hmm. And then I made that my my anchor point okay all right and how long did that take that was the whole time from april to august first couple months yeah okay. probably yeah. all the way to july yeah that's uh I, i've definitely gone through that as well um all right so now you're you're dedicated to this compound now but also with that like you mentioned comes some new strategy that you got to think about because you can't just belly crawl 
through the timber with a compound bow. I mean, you could. I mean, you could do it, but well, during the draw, you know, pulling back, drawing out, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. What What did you say to yourself? Hey, this is this is what has to change now that I'm a compound bow shooter. Yeah, well, I kind of the first time I sat out and tried to shoot something, uh, I did it did it just as like an observation suit. So I sat against a tree just like I would with a crossbow. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having a doe walk out at 20 yards and shot it while I was sitting next to a tree. So I figured, (laughs) I guess Uh, easy. This is easy. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I don't know why that deer didn't see me because it's not like a small individual. Right, right. Um, So you you kind of found success doing the – you know, new weapon, but still the old kind of ways of, of hunting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did, I did, I bought all the, the climbing sticks and, and like the, uh, I got a XOP stand and, mm-hmm. and I got a, a, a saddle eventually. So now I know I'm really cool. I'm one of the real cool guys yeah, shooting a bow in a saddle. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> okay. So you said you're a big guy. How big are you? If you don't mind me asking. I'm six foot six and 300 pounds. Okay. That's a big dude. Um, I want to talk a little bit before, before we go on with the rest of the story, like, cause I'm, I'm two I'm six foot, six foot one. I'm two thirty, two thirty five, And, uh, I'm curious what your experience is with a saddle at that size. I had like, uh, the tree hopper was the first one it was a two panel it was similar to like the old anderson's yeah uh i sat in it all day once last year and it was not that pleasant Mm -hmm. Uh, you just get a lot of pinches and around your hips and stuff um i got a method too this this year so i'm gonna try that out but i haven't sat in it all day but um for a couple hours it's not bad it's not a bad comfortable but an all-day sit was was tough yeah i think this year uh, i'm going to be sitting in a saddle a lot more this year uh i'm i'm looking forward to using the uh the new the new lockdown uh, that tethered put out because it's got the pockets on the hips and i think that's going to suit me pretty well but the most that i've sat in my last year's uh, saddle was like two and a half hours at a time it was like two or three afternoon hunts and and that was it right and so now i'm looking forward to this you know this different saddle uh, and really just sitting back and and seeing how comfortable i can get i wasn't even thinking about it uh this last year but this year i'm going to be putting a little bit more thought into it and and seeing how to get get more comfortable in there yeah a lot of a lot of it comes down to where you tether off, like the height of your tether for how much pressure goes where. Um, But it's really nice to have something that you can adjust like uh, on your hips and where the, where the pressure is on your butt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Have you, have you shot a deer out of a saddle yet? No, I'm over lifetime shooting at deer from the air. Okay. Oh, so this buck we're going to get ready to talk about was the ground, uh, a ground buck too. Oh yeah, yes it was. Okay, all yeah, right. Well, yeah. we might as well get into it yet. When you sent me the email, you said bar stool buck. All right. Yep. So let's get into the story. Is it this? Is this a deer that you knew about for several years, or was this a deer that just popped up randomly? It was. It was a deer I had found in the the summer okay. in Velvet. I I don't know if I saw him the year before. Um, the neighbor to the north had found his shed um, from the year before, but I, I think it was one of those that he kind of blew up and he that he showed up a lot more because his, he was the biggest antler deer. Right, okay. Um, and so there's a chance you knew about him, but you're not 100% sure. Um, you got When was the first picture of this buck? <clears throat> I think I... The first picture was right around the end of June, okay. July, sometime there. All right. And was he identifiable right away? Yeah, he had about, I think it was like an eight-point rack at that point. So Gotcha. It was by far the biggest deer around. And what year was this? 
Uh, this was last year. Last this past year. Okay, so June June comes up. You get some trail camera pictures of him, and is like, is he instantly a shooter in your eyes? Oh yeah. 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 Okay, and it, uh, compare him to like in in your area of Michigan. Is this? Are you in Southern Michigan? No, we're in Misaki County, okay. uh, which is Central Northern. Central Northern. Okay, um, and so. Is this a is this a pretty good buck for the area? What would you say is a standard deer for for your area? Um, a hundred and thirty inch deer here would be a big deer. Okay, all right, and so right away this deer, I mean, just from looking at him behind you, he looks a little bit bigger than one thirty. Um, yeah. What is? Did anybody else know about him? Did the neighbors know about him? Yeah, everybody around had knew him. Uh, the neighbor to the north did. The neighbor to the uh, west did. Actually, a couple neighbors to the west had pictures of him. So he was he was around. Okay. And so, as as you're collecting data on him, trail cam pictures throughout the summer, uh, maybe even leading up into September or October, what were you learning about this buck? What I figured out, this was on a different property than the first story. This property is kind of in the middle of a two-mile section. Okay. Um, the north mile is 90% cover. The south mile is 90% ag. Okay. And No, roads, no I, roads going through a two-mile section. No roads going through a oh, two-mile wow. section. So the property is is pretty much located right in the dead center portion of it <clears throat> and it's on the edge the north edge of this farm is where all the cover is going to the north and then there's a drainage that runs right through the middle of the farm heading south and that goes out to the uh goes out to the egg so pretty much the whole farm is a is a transition area with some egg on it okay all right so what i was doing was i was I figured out there's about six or seven main pathways that the deer would take coming from the cover going to the ag. And I tried to cover all those with trail cameras. And each time I would get a good picture of a deer, I used a Spartan Forge app. And in that app, they have a feature called the journal. Mm -hmm. And when you type in the date and the time, it automatically comes up with the weather, uh, like temperature, barometric pressure, that sort of thing so i could input every one of my trail camera pictures into that journal and then once i compiled about 20 pictures of them i could start looking at these pictures and seeing he's going through here with this wind direction um, at this time so that's how i narrowed down where i had to be and when i had to be there gotcha were you running cell cams or standard cameras the places I couldn't get to easily, <clears throat> I would put a cell camera in, and mm-hmm. the other places, SD cameras. Were, uh, so you, you could easily drive up to them, check them, and then, okay, all right. And was he pretty consistent in these areas where you had cameras? I had him on two, on two or three, I had him on three different main trails, mm-hmm. uh, and he was really consistent on two of them. Uh, the other one was kind of sporadic. Gotcha. So he would, but I, but I, what it came down to was I finally got the most consistent um, pictures I would get was he would go through this one area where he could hit two trails and he would go through there on a west wind on his way to bed. So any, it didn't matter if it was west, southwest, northwest, anything with west, he was using these two trails uh, to get back to cover and somewhere he was betting on the neighbors where that wind worked for him. Okay. So he becomes, he's random in the evenings coming to the uh, food, but he's really consistent coming back to a bed. Absolutely. Okay. And as this, all this data comes in, you're starting to put together, like what was your confidence level looking like? <laughs> I felt really confident. I told my buddy in September, I'm like, this is a really killable deer. Once I started getting that, that really consistent morning 
travel pattern and I knew what, what the, uh, what he was going to do on what wind. The only like kicker was it's a, it's sort of like a permission slash, uh, lease. Mm -hmm. Um, but the landowners nieces and nephews hunt it for the youth and the early antlerless, which is a rifle season in the middle of September. Mm -hmm. So they were going to be there and that was really the biggest question mark of what would how that would impact the, the travel yeah that's uh man i'd be nervous like obviously <laughs> you want these kids to go out and have success but yeah. not on not on the deer that you've you know patterned <laughs> figured out yeah well, it's, it's, it's deer hunting it's not you can't control yep. the hunters and you can control the deer so right absolutely um okay so youth season comes and did they spook him? Did they bump him? Did anything happen to throw him off of his consistent pattern? You know, I don't think so. I'm not sure. I had a picture of him on the 11th, which would have been the, the second day of the youth season, in daylight, and I don't know how he didn't get shot or seen. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, it really didn't impact, impact him at all. I think it moved uh, – they were hunting on the north part of the farm and or no they were hunting on the south edge of the farm i think that affected where he went through on the south side but not so much the north side gotcha okay um and your opener is october 1st right yeah okay uh and were you going in after him right away or did you have to wait for west winds I had to wait for the right wind, and I, and morning hunts aren't super easy for me because uh, my wife takes the kids to school. I got to watch. I have a two-year-old daughter, so I stay home with her while my wife takes the kids to school. Mm -hmm. uh, so I waited for. It ended up working out. I had a Saturday with a southwest wind. Okay, and what date was this? Uh, it was the eighth of October. It was October eighth. All right, so you jumped on this right away. As soon as I could, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And outside of the southwest wind that October 8th gave you, were there any days in that time frame where, in the first eight days, where you had exactly the right winds that you needed to get in there and hunt him, but you just couldn't because of schedule? I think I avoided looking so it wouldn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> So when I saw it was going to be that, and then, and then also uh, that Saturday, the temperature dropped a little bit. It was going to be the coldest day, uh, not by a bunch, but for the most part, it, it was going to drop maybe 5, 10 degrees that day. So it was kind of a couple, multiple things. Plus I had a seven mile an hour wind. I wanted like a little bit stiffer wind so I could get in there quieter or right. have some, you know, covers, cover noise. Yeah, yeah. Man, Saturday just worked out perfectly, so. Yeah, I'll say this. Uh, there was one year I had an absolute giant whitetail patterned to a T. It was like, I went and checked cameras on the 20, I, I checked four trail cameras on like the 28th of October. And I went and I, I checked all of them, same buck. So now I'm going, all right, he's working this loop, right? I identified the pattern and I identified the wind and here comes the wind that I need and it's on Halloween. And what, do I'm, what am I doing on Halloween? I'm taking the kids trick-or-treating. And so I've had a couple of scenarios like that throughout the years where the schedule is not allowing me to to go and hunt because of uh, I don't work or you know something like that but I had everything I needed and then eventually that that particular buck never showed up again like I never saw him again so maybe someone shot him maybe he relocated I don't know but I never saw him did he go through that day that you could on Halloween did he go through it yep yep oh, oh, well that's... well I can't say that he walked in front of any of my tree stands per se, but 
but I yeah. can say that he was on two of those four cameras on on Halloween with the win that I needed, uh, but I don't know if he would have walked by. There's a good chance that he would have walked by based off of the information that I know now about how deer cycle through that uh, that ridge system. So I uh, I have a good feeling that I at least would have saw him, not necessarily yeah. had a shot at him. So. So how much fun did you have trick-or-treating? Oh, it was great. It, it was great. I had so much fun trick-or-treating, especially when I'm just thinking about that the whole time, right? You're just thinking like, you know, I could have tagged out tonight and then the season would have been over. Like I would have only had to worry about a late season type hunt maybe. Yeah. Use my bow tag. It's done. And, uh, so I, I was thinking a lot about it, but at the same time, I was just like, you know, this is the one thing that I have to do. That's during the, the season, every single year, I might as well yeah. just tough it up, forget about it and, and go. But I will say this, the 28th through Halloween it for me anyway, that's when the big dogs start to get on their feet and stretch a little bit. And I'm, and I'm not talking like an hour before daylight. I'm talking maybe 20 minutes before daylight. And yeah. like now that cell cams are there, I have to leave my house, my phone at the house when I go trick or treating, because right at this, right at this five o'clock mark, it's bing, 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 yeah. bing. And, and I'm just checking my phone instead of watching my kids trick or treat. And so I had to learn to leave my phone at the house so yeah that's probably a good policy yep yep all right um so you identified him right and and so you could uh you you knew that you couldn't hunt so you didn't you weren't worried about it was october 8th to saturday did you say yep okay saturday yep. and so how knowing knowing that this deer okay let me back up where what direction did you have to access this property from from the east from the okay from the east so there's a chance that you have the opportunity you know there's a, there's a good chance that you're not going to disrupt him coming from the ag to the back to his bed yeah okay. yeah it was and I, I was worried there's a there was some ag that i had to go through to to get to the spot i wanted to but i I didn't think that he would be there. Um, typically, he went to the south. There was some standing corn at that time, um, and that's where I assumed he was spending most of the night, and then he would filter back through the property uh, between 5 o'clock from the south end to, you know, 7.30 on the north side. It, he usually just slowly worked his way back gotcha. through that property. Gotcha. All right. Um and but you needed a west wind but you're accessing it from the east which tells me that at some point you have to cross the trail or trails that he uses to get back to bed in order to get into your stand to where your wind is not blowing at him yeah at some point all right walk I, like did if, you i had to give up quite a bit to to cover the two trails that I thought he was going to use. Okay. So did you, did you have to like J hook in like a big loop around or did you walk straight to the stand? I walked pretty much straight to it and, and crossed, uh, I don't know, three, I think three of the six trails. Okay. Just We're... assuming that he's going to be in the right spot. It was one of those, uh, I have good Intel. I'm going to make a big swing right now. And if it doesn't work, I'll try it again late late in the late season or something but it was one of those i'm this is either going to work really well or i'm going to screw everything up gotcha and so you uh were all three of those trails that you crossed within shooting lane uh, shooting range no there's i i was only going to be able to cover two of them two of them okay and was one downwind of you yeah okay and one of the trails that i was that i was covering he was going to hit my wind at some point mm -hmm. but i had a stop opportunity before he would perfect. get there perfect so he and, was and that 
situation I was assuming like most big deer are the last deer out in the evening after all the other deer go come out I was assuming that he would be the first back to bed Mm -hmm. so I didn't think that would be a big problem but it ended up I had like 13 does and fawns go through first so they just took the path that didn't catch my wind luckily wow and so so you had you were throwing not necessarily a Hail Mary because you had a lot of information, but you were taking a risk crossing trails with ground scent and then getting in a tree. Cause I mean, that shit's happened to me before where I'm in a tree, I'm in a good spot, but then the deer that I don't want to shoot get downwind to me, right? If that mm-hmm. big buck came through, I would have been, I would have had a shot at him before he hit my wind. Was that something that was a potential worry for you? I, I was worried about the other deer, but I, like I said, I had assumed he would be the first one through mm-hmm. going to bed the earliest. So it was, I thought that wouldn't be as big of an issue as what it ended up being. Okay. Um, but I was, it was another one of those times where I got really anal about scent. So, you know, had everything in a, in a locker with a ozone machine the night before and wearing rubber boots and spraying everything off. So, yeah. Uh, I was trying to minimize how much of an issue it was going to be. But. Okay. All right. So once you get into the stand then, how, how early were you in the stand? Uh, let's see. I got there about 4. I got. I think I pulled in about 4.30. Mm-hmm. And I got to, I got to where I, well, I, I had put that bar stool in a willow swamp mm-hmm. right in the edge. And I tucked it in pretty well but i hadn't been to that spot since august because i i didn't want my scent around there so i went i walked through the farm and i got to where that that bar stool was sitting in the in the willows and i couldn't find the thing so i'm just sitting here going walking back and forth trying to figure out where i stuck this thing in this willow swamp thinking well good thing i got up so early to get here two hours before daylight and not be able to find my blind wow Okay, so this is a this is a question I forgot to ask you. You at some point you actually took a bar stool that you would find in any bar here in America, and you drug it into the woods with you, the swamp with you, and set it somewhere. Why a bar stool? Uh, a chair was too low. Okay, okay, <laughs> but I couldn't. There were in in this this area. There's it's a lot of uh, low trees and, and brushy, shrubby stuff. So I couldn't get in a tree. There was no, there wasn't a tree around that I could even climb in unless I was going to climb like a three inch elm tree mm-hmm. and a 300 pound fat guy hanging off the side of a three inch elm tree is <laughs> a little bit inconspicuous. <laughs> Just leaning so, all the way over. <laughs> yep. I had thought I'd found this, uh, I'd found one of the two trails the year before um and i had figured it was probably getting traveled by bucks because the willows are so thick that they they aren't going to just walk anywhere it was the only trail going through these willows that was wide enough mm-hmm. to to get a rack through so i had set the bar stool and i carried it in on an evening hunt the year before and i sat there one time and had you know three bucks within seven yards but they caught my ground set because mm-hmm. i had crossed that trail trying to find a spot to put the bar stool. Yeah. Um, so you put this bar stool out. Did you cut shooting lanes previously or did you have, were you going to just going to gap shoot? Uh, there was a natural opening there and I, had, in August I had broken the branches down a little bit so that I'd have an opening. Okay. Um, I kind of set it up so that the deer had to get past me um, before they would go, I would see them in the opening. So I was covered pretty well with them not seeing me coming through. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, there was a, there was an opening that I had opened up a little bit earlier in the season, but I had left it and not touched anything for a couple months. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so you get in there. How, how much time did you have once you've actually found the bar stool to when the sun started coming up? It was about two hours. Two hours. So you sat in the dark for two straight hours. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Awesome. Um, and 
Here's the thing about the early season that you know just as well as I do. Sometimes the deer come back to bed real early, right? Yeah. Did you, while you were in there, did you hear what sounded like deer coming back through? When I first got in there, I heard heard something, and it, it was up. It was downwind of me, and it had spooked. Um, did it and then blow? later, the black, it didn't blow, but I think it was a coyote, because I saw another coyote run through there about the same time. Mm-hmm. But I saw my first, I think the first deer that I saw go through there was about six, six o'clock was a little after six o'clock. So yeah, you could just make out that it was a deer in 30 yards with your binoculars. Yeah. All right. So what was the deer movement that morning? It was pretty consistent. Um, A lot of, there was does and fawns coming from the south, going to the north. And most of the deer were in between. Um, I think that coyote that had actually walked through helped me out a little bit because they picked up his ground scent and kind of focused on that. Mm-hmm. A lot of them walked the exact path where he was or she was. I don't know. But, but wherever that coyote was, um, the deer followed that path and kind of were a little weary, but mm-hmm. not bad. So um, most of the deer were in between 20 and 30 yards. And luckily, all the does and fawns took took the farther trail away and they didn't cross. They didn't get into my, my wind. Okay. All right. Uh, and then, so there was, there was a good number of deer that came like does and fawns that came through first. Any other bucks come through? The first time that I saw the deer, there was a group of four bucks and they were all bachelored up still. And they all came through together okay. at the same time. But he was one of them. He was one of them. Okay. And at, were they all single file line coming down the same trail? Yep. Oh, wow. This is sound. This is like a dream scenario. It's like you could just take your pick of what you wanted. Yep. And obviously, the big dog's in with this. Was he first? Was he last? Was he in the middle? Of, of four, he was the third one. Okay, he was the third one. And when he showed up, instantly did you say that's him and how much time how much time did you have before you identified him to the time that you had to draw back i had a pretty good amount of time i saw him from probably 150 yards okay Um, really focused on him and right at that time i noticed there was a doe 30 yards away from me standing there and she had two fawns and then i'm like oh my gosh i just have to beat three more deer and then i'm good because I think she caught a little movement when I put my binoculars up and I was focused on those bucks. Mm-hmm. But I I probably had five minutes, maybe, maybe a little longer. Okay. Enough to freak out and then <laughs> tell yourself to stop being an idiot. It's just a beer. Right. Yep. The, the adrenaline dump and then yep. like, then you recognize that you have buck fever. Then you talk yourself out of buck fever and then, and then it's game time. Uh, were you worried at all about as you're drawing on that buck who's third in line that the other deer would see you? No, they were they were quartered away about by the time. Oh, okay. The draw. So they weren't really walking a straight line right past you. They were kind of coming from away and then coming close and then like I'm guessing following terrain to go back up away from you or down away from you. Yeah, they were following their they were following the willow edge there. And then oh, there okay. was there was kind of like a, a a creek crossing type of a thing there. Okay. Uh so you shot him out on edge, basically. He actually I was he they were all comfortable. That yeah. doe had made his way made her way through. Um, the first buck walked through and I ranged him. He was at 40 yards. So I slid my pin to 40 yards. Um, those deer were all comfortable. Yep. <clears throat> Next one walked and it was a little bit farther away. I'm like, well, do I adjust or do I just guess? So I, I decided I just was going to range him too. And I ranged that one and that one was at 45. Okay. And then the buck I was after came through and I'm like, I better just range him. I ranged him. He was at 45 yards. I adjusted my pin and then I'm sitting there thinking, all right, do I grunt to stop him or not? And he, he stopped on his own and I drew back 
and I aimed uh, like about four inches under his belly and got myself settled. Because you, you felt he was going to drop? Yeah, I'm shooting, my bow is, I shoot a, a prime, but I had a really heavy arrow set up and my arrow speed was about 212 feet per second. Mm -hmm. So I assumed at that speed he was going to drop. So I settled my pin in. I was just under his belly, and I, I let it loose, and you could watch the arrow just slowly arc in, and I saw Barry. Uh, he had ducked, and I think he was starting to go forwards by the time the arrow got there, and I hit him about four inches behind the shoulder, maybe maybe five, six inches behind the shoulder. But that's still long, uh, right? It was. It was, I thought, where I hit him, it was going to be the – Back of the lungs, because it was halfway up the body. Mm -hmm. uh, back of the lungs, liver is what I was thinking it was. Yeah. And, and I absolutely lost my marbles and just about <laughs> fell off the bar stool. <laughs> uh, did you see blood instantly? Uh, I don't, I didn't see blood right away. It's a small, it was a small broadhead. Mm -hmm. So I'm shooting like an inch and an eighth fixed blade. Um, so there wasn't a bunch of blood squirting out or anything. Gotcha. Um, I ended up going and finding my arrow, and then I had to go to work because um, I found the arrow and I called my buddy who has a, a tracking dog, mm -hmm. um, but he had to do something, so he couldn't come until the afternoon, and I had to go to work until 4 o'clock, so I had to do the soundboard for a wedding while I'm thinking about this deer all morning and all <laughs> afternoon. So we finally went out there at 4 o'clock with the dog, uh, and we we found it after about 25 minutes. Were you worried that the coyotes that you saw earlier might go take a bite of him? I was. Um, I wasn't. I didn't think they'd eat his face, though. Yeah. Oh, and did they eat his face? <laughs> no. Uh, my dad had shot a, uh, one of his bucks there, and he left it overnight, and the coyotes had eaten everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, so, they pretty that much ate concern. all of my buck this yeah. this past year so um so when the dog came in i mean when you, when you got your arrow was there any blood at impact um what when you pulled the air obviously you know the dog mm -hmm. did the dog lead you right to him no it was kind of a bad day for tracking it was really it got hot that afternoon yeah and it was real windy mm -hmm. so the dog had a tough time finding it but once my buddy found like one of the beds and then the dog got on that and led us right to it. Perfect. And so liver shot. Yep. Liver I ended shot. up missing all the lungs, but it was straight liver. Straight went liver. about 70 yards and bedded down. And then seven or 70, 70, 70. Oh, well that's pretty good, man. That's still pretty good. Bedded down, yeah. bedded down once got up and bedded down again. And that's where you found him. He bet he got up about four times and yeah. bedded and, made it about 70 more yards okay perfect perfect man that's awesome uh yeah and so at it, is this your biggest buck to date yeah yep it was it scored 150 and a couple eights uh uh michigan 150 class and so you're now a stud because you dropped a giant you know like a 150 i was a stud before <laughs> yeah, good answer good answer um well that's awesome man so were you pretty jacked when you walked up on them and, and grabbed the antlers for the first time yeah i actually i had named this deer i had to name him in my uh uh the journal i just put 140 because i thought he was uh, going to be a 140 inch deer and when i walked up on him, this is the first time i walked up on a deer that was bigger than what i thought it was looked bigger yeah oh that's awesome man that's awesome and, and so now now he's on your wall uh, behind you and uh that's just anyway, he's a mainframe 10 he's a mainframe nine and he's got uh like seven inches of extras on one brow time yep he's got a triple brow time so that's awesome man well congratulations uh and now this season do you have another another deer that you're already got uh, your sights on um, I think my goal this year is going to be shoot a good deer on public. Okay. Um, I haven't found anything on private yet, but there'll be something pretty decent, I would guess. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's... But I, I don't think I'm going to shoot a 150-inch buck every year around here. Right, right. Well, you never know. 
you never know. Uh, well, congratulations on an awesome story, man. I uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, and BS with us, and, and good luck this upcoming season, man. Thanks, you too. Huge shout out to Brian. Huge, man, I can't talk. Huge shout out to Brian. Huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen, to download, to continue to be a part of the Nine Finger Nation. Man, I really appreciate it. Uh, if, if you guys get bored, go check out some of the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Empire, man. There is a ton of great content out there that I know you guys will enjoy. And uh, I, I'll put that content up against anybody on the podcast on the planet, in the industry, whatever. It's really good content. And so last but not least, man, we got to talk about the good vibes. It's that time of year where we're starting to think about the woods. So we need all the good vibes we can have, man. So uh, good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time.